1: i I'm very impressed and super excited to talk to you about RevOps. Two, I am learning more about your music more and more since Howard bought. So there we are. <laughs> Welcome back, everybody, to our special part two series here with the Head of Global Sales Enablement from Stripe, Marcella Pineros. Along joining me is of course our co-host, founder, CEO, Howard Brown, creator of Revenue Science. Marcella, great to have you back. Howard, great as always to see you this week. Let's pick up where we left off. We told our listeners last week, this kind of cliffhanger of the future of enablement. We spoke through all of that. And then we started to go down the path of there's a lot of complicated data and technology stack. There's huge amounts of technical debt. How do we actually get rid of things? Everybody focuses on what to change and what to add. There isn't that focus on what we actually get rid of. So, you know, Marcella and Howard, let's let's pick up there. I think that was really going down an interesting path for us from last week. And Marcella, you really focusing on technologies that drive behavior and engagement versus distribution Mm -hmm. versus tracking?
2: I think if I I am in a position to decide what to get rid of, there are some factors to consider, right? So one of them is how big is your organization? How big is your enablement team? Mm -hmm. Because a lot of what we tend to do with technologies, we tend to scale headcount. We tend to scale. We don't have the people to do this manually or we don't have the systems in place to do this manually. So we use technology sort of as a placeholder to help us scale. So with that caveat, because you can't get rid of something if you don't have something to replace it with that serves a better purpose, I will say that um, the technology landscape has grown very crowded. A lot of the different uh, functions and vendors and services and partners that are out there are just like encroaching on one another's territory. So you've got Mm -hmm. everything from a combination of Revenue tracking and conversation intelligence and content management and knowledge management, like all of these are coming together because there is such a need and such an appetite for them. And we all know that having things in a central location makes it easier to govern. So if there's an appetite obviously to have things centralized. When you're dealing with a situation that you have an overlap in functionality that I encourage everyone to do a very honest review of an inventory of their tech stack to see where that overlap exists. I guarantee it does somewhere. When they've identified if that overlap happens, then the next question they need to figure out is what is the use case tangential to that overlap? And is that mission critical to the business, to the revenue of the business? More so than is it mission critical to the comfort level that people have with the fact that they've grown accustomed to something? Like that's not a good necessarily business choice to stick with something just because eh, that's the way it's always been. That's what people are used to. It doesn't mean you can rip it out. It means you need to have a very deliberate change management process so that folks don't reject the organ with whatever you put instead. So I, I feel like there's just a couple of different considerations there.
3: Really interesting. I When I think about technical debt um, as it relates to a tech stack, you're right. There is so much overlap out there and everybody's racing to do everything to, to be a bigger platform. And you know, quite frankly, I think in many cases it's just to have a, a bigger share of the wallet, and and that obviously is is not the not the ideal approach for customers. I think what I tend to lean into is trying to understand the roadmap of the customer. Where are you trying to get with your tech stack, and how do you propose to get there? So a lot of times you'll look and there are applications that are legacy that provide you know a, a very point solution, right? It solves this problem. And then I have six or seven or 10 other applications that solve their individual point problem. And that's great for, you know, if you're stringing it all together, but in the world we live in today, where everything has to happen in real time, our buyers expectations are through the roof, They're more knowledgeable about the technologies that exist. They rarely want to talk to the companies themselves. You have to think about applications that integrate or normalize data so that that data can be used from marketing to sales to CS to support. Because as a customer, I don't care where my data resides. All I care about is when I talk to this company, They know my support tickets. They know what I've bought before. They even know my favorite bottle of wine. Like that, The idea is that that all has to be central. And if I'm looking across my tech stack and the applications that we have are not going to integrate to provide that holistic view of the customer, and as you talked about, help my team navigate that buyer's journey, then that's a good place to start looking at who we're going to remove.
1: I think you're both spot on. And I would, I'm going to attempt to paraphrase this into three big buckets. Because at Gartner, I get asked this a lot, right? You get with big enterprises and they'd often okay, well, this all sounds right. But but where would I start? Like, how would I think about that? And I would say, well, number one, and this is my first bucket for the listeners, I'd say, focus on the technologies that reduce friction amongst the buyer, right? So so that's that's a really good way to kind of look at your side and go, is it, is it reducing something? Or is it just... Is it just a layer because we believe we need a functional automation step for example, for some reason, right? It's something like that. So reduce buyer friction and how does that impact the customer facing experience? Number two, how can I then optimize the remaining stack? And really what I want to look at is, is it really prioritizing metrics that generate revenue? So does the tool, can I directly see how it is maybe adding pipeline, impacting win-loss rates. Is it actually impacting growth rate? Like it's it's got to directly correlate in some way. It can't just be this passive component of, well, I, I think it's going to make my sellers better, right? Like it should. So that's number two. So it's optimizing to the metrics. And then number three is, Marcel, exactly what you're saying, the centralization of these efforts, right? So now, now I know the first two, buyer friction, And I'm looking at the metrics that actually generate revenue. Then I'm going to say, okay, how do I actually link these together as best I can and accept that I'm actually probably going to have some gaps? I I think it's a little bit okay to have some gaps because we tend to try to fill them in. And that's where you get all this overlap because now you got to Howard's point, vendors tripping over each other. So those kind of the three major things I would say to people evaluate against really basic things. Because a, the vendors are very good at coming up with, well, you got to think about this. You got to think about this other metric over there. You really got to think of your ROI in this way. But I, you know, how do we go through this with with our investors, our board? Every other company is going through it in terms of big, you know, the big companies, Oracle and everybody else. Right now, they're looking at the unit economics of this, and if you can't directly tie back to that customer impact and those basic fundamental metrics. I I would suggest now is not the time to have that technology.
3: Yeah, I, I agree. Again, I think technology that shows me what's working and what's not, and then helps me improve that performance. I'm all in. My board's all in. My investors, everybody is all in. That's the key. I need to understand what's working, what I need to change about my current operations, and I need to measure that change and iterate over time to achieve that sort of performance across the entire organization, the entire team, and the entire revenue go-to-market function.
2: Yeah, I would I would support that. One of the things I, I would highlight is we talk a lot about data and data being important. What's really important is insight. Mm-hmm. Data helps. Need insight. (laughs) So many of us may have in our tech stack data hogs. They just produce a lot of data and there's a ton of data. It's just a lot of numbers and a lot of noise and a lot of confetti. And (laughs) what we really need is insight that shapes that somehow into something actionable. So you mentioned, and I love your point about reducing friction and about getting visibility into what works and doesn't work. I would add to that, we need to get visibility into what works and doesn't work at scale. Yes, And that's another big challenge that folks are facing, right? They may have a point solution that gives them insight into one small slice, but you need that at scale and you need the connection between that and something else. So like when I I first joined Stripe, I surprised a couple of folks because my first two hires were a data architect and a full stack developer. Mm. And the question was, well, but your enablement, (laughs) why why are you bringing in a developer and and a data scientist? And that was precisely the the point of well, let me tell you what enablement is going to be here,
3: mm-hmm. and
2: how enablement is going to look here, and what the shape of it is going to be. It's more important to me to have somebody that can speak API and that can tell stories out of data, than right now at this moment in time having someone that will build more content, right? So that was our priority was to build that foundation, and I feel like there's a chance now that folks have to take a step back to look at their teams, to look at their tech stack, and to figure out, am I getting insight? Am I getting it at scale? And do I have the connectivity and the integration between things so that I can actually centralize them into a single place?
1: So, so can I maybe double click there? Because um, A, yeah. I absolutely agree, right? The idea of having a data centric strategy, a communal data center strategy is so key, especially across marketing, sales, CS, like bringing it all together. But within reason, what you're doing is Stripe, can you maybe give us examples? Like what are the what are the data insights that you're focused on that that you think give a slight edge than than just the traditionals, right? Like we all know that we should be looking at basic uh, engagement components, but are there any big like items that you're looking for there beyond uh what most people are thinking? Because you're right, a lot of people just throw volume. Right. They're like, oh, I now can. Right. Audit, so therefore, I can throw volume at the world that's going to work. Volume of yeah. stuff to everybody.
2: Well, I think that in in our current charter and in the way that Rev, RevOps enablement is evolving, there's mm-hmm. really a context of reducing risk for the business. Mm-hmm. So some of the data that you're looking at is, why are top performers top performers? And what are those early indicators that can show when someone is not gonna hit that point and when they're actually moving in the opposite direction? And then what can you do about that to help mitigate risk before it impacts the bottom line of the business, right? So that's one example of something that that I'm very interested in understanding and getting visibility into. Another thing, and this is, um, I have a, a brilliant, brilliant data architect on my team who has come up with like a nine box model where He's He has on the x-axis performance. So this is against quota, pipeline, renewals, whatever those numbers are depending on role and engagement with enablement on the y-axis. Huh. And you then overlay a nine box and you can say, well, you have someone that is a top performer. So they're on the far, far end of the x-axis, but they haven't engaged with enablement once. Okay, the way you are going to intervene and treat that person is very different than someone that is not performing well and is doing all the things in enablement. Right. So, if we're able to really figure out like where somebody falls on that map, then it helps me identify well, maybe this person over here that's a top performer that is not doing much with enablement has some great feedback for us. Maybe that's somebody that I could pull in as a subject matter expert and we can monitor to see what is it that they are doing that's so great and can we help just deploy that through the rest of the field. And you have somebody that's not doing particularly well, you can figure out okay, what is it that they need that they're missing? Is it an environmental issue, is it motivation, is it skills, is it knowledge, like what are the different drivers? But it helps us map out our sales organization Mm -hmm. on this map to see where our folks are landing. And we're getting some great results, right? Like we're able to see that people that engage with our onboarding program more than X percent hit 3X in some of their numbers, Mm -hmm. right? So like it's really, we're able to identify based off of that mapping. So it's, it's really taking the human factor that you were talking about just a moment ago, Howard, that the people are really important, right? And technology is great, but unless the people are using it and unless you're putting it to the service of the people and ultimately the customer, then it's just, you know, it's a line item on a spreadsheet that you have to justify next year with an ROI that you don't have because you haven't really put the people to use it. Mm
3: -hmm. I love that. And I'm, I would love to see that nine box that it sounds really exciting. And First of all, you're, you're far more advanced in this process than most your peers from my humble experience in talking to folks. And when you talk about scaling, that's the kind of operation you need to scale, right? Because you're looking for pattern recognition. I mean, all human beings mm-hmm. are different. Absolutely. But there are patterns that you can start to identify, which then allow you to focus your enablement, your training, your your next best actions on a core cohort. So it's really understanding those cohorts and then creating a model where you can make them as successful as possible, as quickly as possible. So I love the exercise that you're, you you guys, you, you folks are running. Um, that that's the kind of thinking that we need, right? It's human beings are not all the same, but there is certainly patterns, recognizing those patterns, surfacing those patterns, helping the human beings as much as possible because people want to improve. At the end of the day, people want to improve. They want to get better, but you can't treat everybody the same. We're individuals. We may not be completely different and everything but people want to feel like you're investing in them and that you're focusing your training, your effort in improving them. And I love that program. Sounds great.
2: Well, well, just to close out really briefly on that, one thing that we do say very, very frequently at Stripe is we haven't won yet. So yes. a lot of these ideas and all, a lot of these intentions and these plans, the best laid plans we hear, right? Mm-hmm. Definitely, there's a lot more to do and there's a, a long way to go. A lot of that has to do with coordinating. A lot of that has to do with aligning strategy. So back to last week when we were talking about having a heat map of stakeholders and making sure that everyone is kind of on the same bus, moving in the same direction.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, that's probably one of the hardest things, I think, in our role, in
1: our job. It really is. And and I you know, I think, it's a Howard's point, to an average person that's listening to us out there, you, d- you definitely are way more data-centric and focused around what's happening, what's going, and how we're driving the engagement. And I want to give a vision forwards for people here. And I'm going to give a quick analogy, if you can bear with it. And this, uh, for those of you that have been around the world of data science and analytics a long time, you will probably recognize the analogy I'm about to use. It's very famous because back in World War II, when the British were flying their planes, they were getting shot down tremendously. They were losing pilots in the RAF, Royal Air Force, uh, more than, than the Germans were. And they kept looking at the planes when they're coming back. And they were looking where all the bullet holes were. And they kept reinforcing the bullet holes, right? And yet planes kept still going down until finally somebody asked the question, hold on, we're thinking this problem may be wrong because we're looking at the planes that come back. The ones that didn't come back, those are actually what we aren't to understand. So the ones that came back with those bullet holes, those bullet holes aren't actually bad. It's clearly they got shot where the bullet holes aren't on the planes that came back. We got to reinforce those areas. And suddenly they, they flipped their thinking, they reinforced that, and suddenly they, they had, I think it was like a 2 or 4x improvement on survivability of pilots in World War II. Now, why is that? Why am I bringing that story up? It's used in analytics all the time to help people think about, you can use data, and you should use data to understand what you see. And that is absolutely where to start. The vision forwards, though, is it then helps you actually see what isn't happening. What isn't occurring? And when you when you actually begin to understand that, that's where you can really drive a big bump on engagement, right? Because everybody always starts with, oh, I, I can now see a bunch of stuff. And they they build dashboards and analytics and all of that. But I, I would just challenge our audience to go, once you've got that nailed down, then ask the question, what is it that we don't see? What is it the actions that aren't happening in there? You know, Marcella, any thoughts as you think of that
2: yeah. analogy? Definitely, definitely. So what you're describing are the unknown unknowns, right? The things that you don't know, you don't know. And those are the most dangerous ones. Um, I also love in in your analogy that it's about, are we solving the right problem? And that seems to be a question that um, we often go straight into solutioning and don't pause to ask, are we solving, is this the right problem to solve? And when it comes to enablement in particular, Enablement is typically downstream. When something is broken, eventually it'll come to, oh, well, we didn't have enough enablement, or oh, we didn't train people in X, Y, or Z. And I will come back to, well, is that the problem? Is that the right problem? And looking at it on the sort of um, quadrant of knowledge, skills, motivation, or environment, those are the four things that define whether or not somebody does what we want them to do. Is it lack of knowledge, lack of skills, lack of motivation, or or problems in the environment? Right. And we need to really drill into where that problem lives and what combination it is. If it's knowledge and skill, that's enablement. If it's environment, that's revenue enablement, which is much more along the lines of, are we giving people the tools and the resources, reducing friction, giving them the feedback, the leader support? If it's motivation, where oftentimes the problem actually resides, that's a different conversation entirely, right? So it's really digging into where, where the bullet holes and where did the planes that didn't come back where did they land and what was it on that sort of framework that actually broke
1: all right i feel like we're setting the stage for your thinking on revenue science here right when you think of the friction engagement the behavior side you know how how would you drive the unknown side of this if you're an enablement leader what what are the key things you would add on to this well, there's
3: quite a bit there to unpack. I, I do, the, the idea of skills, knowledge, motivation, environment obviously is, is critical and, and that's a lot to measure and it's a lot to pay attention to. Um, the, the benefit today is with technology that has the ability to essentially both uh, instrument And then optimize performance across everything from marketing to call routing to conversations to content to to, RFPs. I mean, there are so many tools out there. The beauty is there is different things that you can optimize across that entire process, right? You can't fix it all at once. That's for sure but incremental changes in behaviors yield huge results. I think about it almost like a uh, medicine, right? You take one medication, it does one thing. You take another one, you get a synergistic effect. One plus one is equal to three or four, right? And so the idea is once you're able to instrument and really figure out what works, right? You're also hopefully able to figure out What's not happening? Because in that same instrumentation, you're able to say, hey, wait a minute, we know from phone calls that when a rep talks about a competitor early in a conversation, the likelihood of this opportunity moving to the next stage is better than when it's not mentioned, right? So what do I do? I inform the rep of things they need to do in a timely fashion right? So we're not just paying attention to what they're actually doing. We're paying attention to what's not happening in their conversations, what's not happening in their emails, what's not happening in their timing or sequences. And based on what's not happening, looking at the outcomes, just like we look at the outcomes of what is happening. And then we prescribe next best action. We prescribe the things that they're missing we place incredible burden on salespeople, on support people, on success people, to know everything, to understand all of the products, the businesses that they're talking to, the competitive landscape. It's incredibly difficult. We need to empower them in those moments. And that's what technology is for. It's not about Artificial intelligence. It's about augmented intelligence. How can we augment the intelligence that our human beings have to make them perform better, feel better, and achieve success? And that's where I think a lot of the focus needs to be.
2: I love that. I love the idea of augmented intelligence. I so I, I don't know listeners on the call. I have a middle schooler that's dealing with math right now and algebra. And I I struggle with the fact that, you know, she doesn't, she isn't allowed to use a calculator. And I'm thinking, why, why wouldn't they let her use a calculator, right? When in in fact, that's augmented intelligence. We need our salespeople to know if they are being asked the square root of 537, I don't need them to to know that by heart. I need them to know where to go to get that answer. And I need them to be efficient in doing so, right? So when we're talking about just bombarding our field with so much information, it's not for them to memorize it. We should be focusing on, are the channels to get that information really clear? Are they frictionless? Are they simple? So that people can find the square root of whatever number without having to like fill their brain with that information.
3: Spot on. You want, you, you want human beings to be able to solve problems and you want to give them the tools to solve those problems so that they can be creative, so that they can connect so that they can be problem solvers and helpful to others. At the end of the day, Mm -hmm. our jobs within organizations is to be helpful to our customers and prospects, period. Hard stop right there. So what do we do to help our human beings better connect? What do we enable them with? Your daughter should have a calculator. She's trying to learn how to solve problems. She's not trying to learn that specific equation. Not helpful. We need to modernize education just like we need to modernize our revenue operations, so I love the analogy. I love the, your your example with your daughter, and let's augment the intelligence of our employees. Let's do that.
1: Yeah. We are running out of time here quickly, so let's attempt to land this plane. Marcella, Howard and I are having dinner a while back, and uh, you know, in the spirit of where this conversation started about how do we reduce technical debt, we were having dinner, and who uh, was just a couple of tables down from us. Was this gentleman called Slash, and uh, you know I, I I thought somebody got hurt, but apparently I was remiss in learning that it's a really famous rock star that you know, that uh, Howard is quite fond of. So you know, and Slash, if you're listening, a I'm very impressed and super excited to talk to you about RevOps. Two, I am learning more about your music more and more since Howard evermore. So <laughs> there we are. But you know, as we think about slashing things of what's going on here in the market. Yeah, you know, we talked about the friction. We talked about, I think you said, really predictability and risk. And, and again, I love this idea of engagement and performance as a way to analyze what we're doing there. Final thoughts, Marcel, I'll let you lead in on, on what would you slash out of this uh, in, in kind of final thoughts, everybody.
2: So I'm actually going to, this is also a very stripy thing to do. I'm going to, my parting words are actually a book recommendation. Right. for folks to read the human element. It is a book that talks about change and friction and the conflict that there is between fuel and friction. We like to throw a lot of fuel at something because we assume that that's why it's not working. Yeah. And the problem may potentially just be that there is friction in the environment that needs to be removed. When people are thinking about what to slash, remove the things that are causing friction. That's yeah. your number one priority. We yes, it's good to add fuel, but if you put too much fuel, as it says in the book, you put too much fuel in a gun without re- removing the the fact that it's got nowhere to go, it's going to explode.
1: Perfect. And Howard, what would you slash? And you can't make fun of Barry Manilow.
2: <laughs> you know what?
3: I, I I think Marcella had the mic drop moment. I I love that. It's it's the human element, right? Like if we're if we're creating friction in the human element. That needs to be removed. Our job is as enablers. Our job is to help people perform better. Get the things out of the way that are creating friction. Provide things that reduce friction. Allow them to be the best
1: versions of themselves. I'll leave it at that. It's wonderful, Marcella. Thank you so much for joining us. Marcella, I think from time to time, you at your organization also have GTM events where you actually open this up and talk through this with everybody. I would invite people to connect with Marcella and her team on LinkedIn, check out what they're doing there. This fantastic free advice they're offering up to the world as well. And, you know, thank you both for two fantastic sessions in terms of how we actually really evolve the future of sales enablement here.
2: Well, thank you for having me. This was so much
1: fun. Thank you so much and really engaging conversation. Really enjoyed it. Like, and subscribe as always, folks, send in your questions, comments. We definitely read them and we look forward to seeing you maybe on a future where we talk about augmented intelligence.